grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> there are many of you here who, I may not say many, but at least some of you here who come from the Midwest, and of course um, a lot of you know people from the Midwest, and I would just like to bring greetings from... Uh, especially Kingston. I was there several weeks back, and many of them said, uh, knowing that I was coming in this part of the West, told me to bring greetings here for you, plus individuals out of the Plymouth congregation. So be greeted from those people, plus also my wife uh, said to say hello to all of you people here. Our or my text tonight is out of the 55th chapter of the book of Isaiah. I'm reading from the first uh, verse of Isaiah 55 through the 10th verse of that chapter. Whoever one that thirsts, <clears throat> come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hark diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me, hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David behold I have given him for a witness to the people a leader and a commander to the people behold thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my, way, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Amen. Let me read one more verse for you. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, and it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. 
out of all the Old Testament books, the most quoted of these in the New Testament is the book of Deuteronomy. I'm sure if you are familiar with both of the books, you discover that way very quickly when you're reading the New Testament. But Isaiah has been looked upon as really the gospel of the Old Testament. It, is, it begins with judgment against Israel, but as you begin the second part of the book of Isaiah, it starts with the words, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. It is a message that all of us as fallen sinners need to hear and need to know and need to come the, to the assurance that this message gives to us. Isaiah is a gospel in its second uh, part of the book and sometimes people have uh, said that actually Isaiah is not one complete book it's been written by two authors because of the drastic change in the tone of its writing but I'm sure all of us are aware of the fact that when we have come to the point of what is in our text tonight it is a comfort and God comforts us when we come to the knowledge of who we are, of what we are, and what the ultimate end is, if the comfort of God through the gospel does not bring to us pardon and forgiveness and the cleansing of our hearts and souls. So there is an invitation in our text tonight for all of us, really. And it gives the basis upon which that invitation is accepted of God. It begins with the words, Ho, everyone. God's gift is not merely to some, but it is to the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But there is a responsibility on our part to become partakers of what God has offered. Now you can go to a doctor and he can give you a prescription for medication and for medicine. But if you refuse to get it and you refuse to take it, just the idea that you have the prescription does not help you. You have to take it into your body. And there is a storehouse of God's pardon and of God's grace. And there is a storehouse in which we can be cleansed insofar as the mercy of God is concerned. But if we do not avail ourselves of it, it is still there, but we are left without it. And spiritually, simply die. So he asks us, 
for one ingredient and this is what the law will do to us make us thirsty you know water is so vital to our system you can go some 50 days possibly more without eating food but you are fortunate if you get by with 10 days of not drinking water I don't know if your papers over here had an article, I think it would be almost two years ago. He happened to be a soldier from Minnesota and they were in the Arizona deserts on maneuvers. And the method by which they went there, they would drop off some of the soldiers along the way as they went and then when the maneuvers were over, the soldiers were to get together again in the same spot and they would pick them up and they would go back to camp. Well, this soldier, for one reason or another, was not picked up. And it took them almost three days before they discovered that he was not back in camp. And from the sense of all the articles regarding him, you have the sense that this person was not too well liked by other soldiers. Anyway, they left him in the desert, and when the parents inquired as to why he had not shown up, the officials said, well, he has gone A-W-O-L, or AWOL, or absent without leave. Many months later, some people walking in the desert found his body the sun had literally baked it. There were only bones there that were left of him. He had been well trained because they could take his backtrack to where they had left him off or where they had dropped him off. He had followed all the disciplines, all the disciplines that a soldier should have. And he was a mile away from help but he ran out of water. He perished in the desert. When Isaiah has the phrase, O oh, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters, it is a responsibility on my part that when God calls me to repentance, someone else cannot do it for me. I need to do it for myself or I need to let God work in me as to sorrow for sin, pardon for sin. That is my responsibility. I cannot blame someone else. Some of you may have the sense of God actually forcing you to it. But really God does not force us into his kingdom. He invites us and calls us. Ho oh, everyone that knocks, ho oh, everyone that seeks, ho oh, everyone that thirsts is here. Come ye to the waters. Come where cleansing can be found. Come where you can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come where God is ready and willing to offer to you living water. I want to go down to verse 6 in the chapter here 
in which this responsibility becomes very evident when he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. All of us, at some time or another, have sensed what this passage means, and that is a time of visitation and a time of awakening. There is an individual call that God calls us by. But if you are familiar with the histories of churches and revival movements, it is also a broader calling than just the individual. Of course, the individual has to make up the whole. In other words, of those he calls. For example, our own revival movement. When you study it, it is almost miraculous as to the methods and the means that God used to bring an awakening in such a nation and in such a country. There had been missionaries there, the work had been done, the church was there, but God touched individuals to bring that message of salvation and awaken people to the thirst that they would seek the Lord where he may be found. I mention often in preaching of the unknowns in the Bible. Elijah, for example, was a messenger to bring to a king, not a king, but a captain of Naaman's army. He was a powerful man in the sense of his bravery and of his brilliance in military. He was rewarded for his bravery. And the Bible tells us that the Lord used this man to save Syria. But an unknown girl who had come out of slavery is the tool that God used to simply bring a message to Naaman's wife to tell him, I know where there is a cure for your master's leprosy. Leprosy was always depicted and is depicted in the scriptures as sin. It eats away, it destroys you. Leprosy kills the nerves, so consequently your hands, you have no feeling in them. And does not sin do the same thing to us? It closes us off from every sense of godliness and Godwardness. But there was one little slave girl who simply said, I know where you can get a cure. I know where there is a man who will help you. And sometimes we need to say this to individuals who are groping in a world of darkness. There is healing and there is a cure and there is a place where you can find living water. There is help for a sin-sick soul. And this is what happened in the case of Naaman. But he needed to go there. He needed to go there where it was. Just knowing this does not save anybody. Just realizing 
that it could happen. You need to act upon it. And there's no doubt that even here tonight there are those whom God is awakening and touching and calling out of darkness. And every one of us is aware of the fact that there is living water flowing in this very building amongst those who have received it and have drank out of the cup of living water. Now notice what he asked for them to do. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The New Testament mentions twice of Jesus weeping. One of these was over the death of Lazarus. And I don't believe that he wept because Lazarus was dead, but I believe that he wept because those who were there and weeping did not know the power of the resurrection. Peter tells us that we have been begotten of God. And that word begotten means simply born of him. And if you want to put the word born again in there, you are doing no injustice to the uh, original language. That he has begotten us of God through the living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the power that he was victorious over sin, over death, and in the devil is what he wants to offer also to us. To be risen from sin's grave, if you may call it, and the death of sin. Because death in the Bible is never spoken of in the sense of an end. It is always spoke of, spoken of in the sense of a separation. The Bible tells us that we are separated in sins and in trespasses from God. In physical death, the soul is separated from the body. In eternal death, the soul is eternally separated from God in hell. Our soul is not going to die when our bodies die. And this is why the Bible so urges us over and over again that the soul is far more important than the body. Because it is eternal, the body is physical and returns to dust. Sometimes the soul is spoken of almost synonymously with spirit. The body returns to dust. The spirit returns to God who gave it. But in any event, it is this that God wants us, and we are accountable to God for what we do with it. We cannot blame someone else for it. You know, you can blame us preachers, you can blame your parents, you can blame everybody else, but when we finally stand before God upon the final day, he's going to look at us and literally say, I died for you in the person of my son. I offered you forgiveness for your sins. 
I offered you the gift of the Holy Spirit without cost and without money. Notice, why do you come? Come to the waters, rather. He that has no money. This is picture language, we may say. Come by, eat and drink wine and milk without money and without price. It is there and it is offered to us and it is available to us. Now so often we say, well, why do we repeat the same theme over and over again? We repeat it over and over again for the simple reason that not all the world has heard the message and not all the world has made themselves available of the message and available of what is offered to us. The question that he asks of those who simply do not come is, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Notice he uses a different phrase, which was very common everyday food for people. Why would you go, for example, in the physical sense, labor and work and starve yourself to death. And this is true spiritually also. That we would spend our time in a lifetime of gathering this world's goods and go to an eternity without having taken care of what is the most important thing in our life, and that is our soul. We don't take our possessions with us when we go. I've often said, said it today, I've had something like 450, 500 funerals, but I've never seen anyone take their possessions with them. Naked have we come, naked must we live, leave. The only thing we take with us when we go as believers is a soul and for believers thank God it is washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lamb what about those who are not what about those who are not the tragedy lies that there's an eternity over there sometimes I've been asked well what if it doesn't happen what if I've simply told to those who would like to somehow escape from the reality that for you, if it does happen, what is eternity and what is waiting for you on the other side? If you are wrong, what is waiting for you? If I would be wrong, and I am not wrong, I have lost nothing. But the reality is there, and the reality is that I have gained eternal life. And I've asked them point blank, what do you suppose the lot is for you?
Look for that which does not satisfy. There's a book in the Old Testament that I would urge young people, really, I'd urge you to read all the books of the Bible, but especially Ecclesiastes. When you read Ecclesiastes, memorize the last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes before you begin to read the book. Because when you read it, you would wonder why this is in the Bible. Why is it there? But it teaches us the truth of what Isaiah says. Why do you labor for that which satisfieth not? When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the author to it has stated everything that he sought in life that would satisfy, as is our text today, your labor which does not satisfy. He did that and he tried that. And that's why it is there to record for us so that we might find the last two verses of this uh, book reality to us. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And Solomon found out in Ecclesiastes that everything he had sought for was vanity in comparison to and in the light of the gift of eternal life through the shed blood of the Lamb of God. So the question you need to ask also, what do we seek for in life? What do we seek after? I'm sure that this community is no different from most communities. We have all kinds of toys. And someone has said the difference between the toys of boys and of men is the price they pay for it. And yet they do not give us what only can be given to us when God is able to give us a soul that lives for him and lives in him and lives through him. Why is the question. The word here is wherefore do you spend money for what is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. And he gives the advice. Seek diligently or hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Notice again the word soul. Let your soul delight in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. The word here, you turn back in Isaiah to chapter 50, and I believe it's the fourth verse, 
gives a definition for this word, what it means to hear in the Hebrew language. It's not merely something that tickles your ears. It's much more than that. And he gives it in Isaiah 54. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, and I shall know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He awakeneth morning by morning. He awakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. The word learned here is sometimes translated disciple. In other words, the next verse says it. The Lord openeth mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. In other words, we really hear what God is saying if we obey it. I remember as a boy, often, when my dad or mother would ask me to do when I was busy reading something. I was hearing what they were saying, and I would nod my head and say yes or yo, and respond to it, and dad or mother would soon find out that, well, I really wasn't listening. And all of a sudden, dad would say and finish that, do you hear me, son? And you know, your ears perked up and you began to listen, and you knew that he meant what he was saying, and you obeyed. And in the biblical sense, to hear, we can have repentance preached to us over and over again. But if we do not respond to it, if we do not obey what God is urging us to do, to turn from sin to God's grace and God's pardon and God's forgiveness, to turn to cleansing through his blood, the forgiveness of all our sins, we have not really heard. And that is where the Bible says in the New Testament, they have ears that do not hear. They have eyes that do not see. He is not saying that they're deaf or that they're blind. He is saying simply that they are not obeying what they are hearing and they are not obeying what they are doing. You can go to hell as surely by sitting and saying, well, one of these days, and it's right and it's proper that I should. And one of these days I'm going to do it. And someone has quoted that Luther has said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Until we really hear it in the sense of obeying it. We have just tickled our ears. And that is all we've done. Incline your ear. Notice, hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. It is a reference here to the Messiah again, to the person of Jesus Christ. These phrases are common phrases amongst these people for the hope that was given to them already in the book of Genesis. John the Baptist uses this phrase 
that is often not seen in its real context. When he sees Jesus coming from the river Jordan, he looks at him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In the original language, this simply says, Behold God's Lamb, a very separate Lamb from all the lambs you sacrifice. This is God's Lamb. This is not the Lamb at the head of the household, this is not the lamb of each household, but this is God's lamb. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And here when it's talking about the mercies of David, its reference is to this lamb, to this lamb. To this one lamb of which there is no substitute. For there is no other name under heaven whereby we may be saved than the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Often, no doubt, many of you have had someone say, well, do you think that Christianity is the only religion that's going to get us there? And the answer is very evident from what I, I quoted to you. There is no name under heaven whereby we may be saved other than the name of Jesus. It is God's lamb, God's sacrifice for our sins. It is this sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him, notice it personalizes, this message, sure mercies of David, it is a person that I have given him for a witness to the people, a litter, leader, and a commander uh, to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation, now the Gentiles. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee. Because the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. This is why so many feel the book of Isaiah to be really the gospel in the Old Testament. Already a pre-run of the gospels in the New Testament. There we see it as a fact. Here we see it as a promise. Someone who looks to the future. In the New Testament, they have it. It is there. It is accomplished. And in the book of Acts, they go out to bring this message. And we see it in action. There is a word that is used in the book of Acts so often and that is, Christians were called the people of the way. And that reference there is, that they were different from the world. They were different in the world because they were called out of the world to be the children of God and to be a special nation. nation. Peter uses that phrase when he calls them a peculiar people. That word peculiar does not mean funny or odd or anything else. It's peculiar in the sense 
that that is the only nation. It is peculiar in the sense that it has been called out of the world, separated unto God. And in that sense it is peculiar from all people. You as a Christian tonight, do you realize that in that sense you are peculiar? You are his child. You have been called to be special in his sight in the sense that he cleanses and washes you. And he has set you apart for his purposes and for his glory. No, not your glory, but his glory. And we are to be that as he calls us to be that. And so the second part of the text begins with these words. Because this is so, because this has been done for you, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. my early ministry up on the Iron Range in Minnesota. The Iron Range is the northern part of the state. I was a young man in the ministry at that time. Very green. Many things that I needed learning in and still need learning in. But one of the saddest things that I remember from those early days was a funeral that I had for a 19-year-old lad. Going over my records recently, I noticed that funeral in there. I do not remember the details of how he got into prison, but I remember that it was from drunk driving. That's all I remember. And he had been put into prison. What the details of the reasons after that, I don't remember. But anyway, he hung himself in jail. No doubt because of the shame of having committed this act of drinking and drunken driving and putting his mother and his father to shame. But I will never forget the wailing of that mother on the day we buried him. If there was a cry to be pitied, and a cry that came from a soul that was hurting, I have not yet heard it, but from the wail of that woman. Every time I think about it, it breaks the heart to realize how hurt and how deeply hurt and how deeply grieved that mother was. So often as young people, I remember myself, I was the fifth of five brothers that went into the service. Four of them were already overseas when I went into the army. I walked out of the house as if I were going on some type of a joyous trip and did not know the grief of my parents when I walked out that door. It wasn't until I had my own children 
that I know the hurt and the grief and the depth of what it is. How we often think nothing, whether it is young or old, of what the price of our soul's salvation has been and what the price of our rearing has been in a godly home and in a God-fearing home. And we so often take it just for granted. Just for granted. And do not know the value of what it is. Your soul is valuable before God. No other price has ever been of such value as the salvation of your soul. As the redemption of your eternity because you have an eternity to either regret that you never took this seriously or you have an eternity to praise God that you did take it seriously. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He's here in the words from every mouth that proclaims to you forgiveness through his blood, forgiveness in his name. And you are asked to seek it. One of the things that God's word does, it is not a vain thing, it is not an empty thing, it's not just that, well, you preach it and you go home and that's the end of it. Notice what he says. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the hearer, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The proclamation of the gospel is one of the most important things that God wants us to do. And we need to do it with the realization that there is one who sows and one who waters, but it is God who gives the increase. We have witnessed seasons of revival. We have witnessed seasons of awakening in history. We as believers need to pray that he would awaken an America and I'm sure it's here as it's everywhere to the realization that you cannot murder and not be responsible for souls. You may say, well, it's just a little plasma. It's more than that. Do you realize that at conception the child has in it every beginning of the color of the eyes, of the color of the hair, all the features are there. All it needs 
is grow. So when some say, well, because it's merely weeks or months, it really is not a human being. With all the so-called scientific knowledge we have today, for someone to say that is absolutely ignorant of the fact that it is already a living soul. We need to really awaken a nation that does not know what it is doing for its own convenience. For its own pleasure. For its own whatever it is. To simply say that I'm the captain of my own ship. I'll do what I want to do and not pay for the consequences of it. I have had 90-year-old people come to me on their deathbed and confess to me abortions that have happened in their early youth. In other words, it is not just forgotten. The men may walk away from it, but there are very few women today who do not suffer the consequence of convenience and the consequence of what they do. And surprisingly, there are all kinds of parents who cannot have children, who are absolutely praying that they can adopt some of those children and bring them into God-fearing homes. Don't take lightly the need for a nation to experience an awakening to what they are doing and to what is happening around us. We as people in a broad sense need to awaken to the realization that we cannot go as a nation unpunished and that there is no consequence that we do this before a living God and somehow think that we have gotten away with it for the sake of our convenience. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Why do you spend for that which does not satisfy your soul? Why do you buy and labor and work and the end result is futility? Much as God wants us even tonight to come where there is living water, to come where there is forgiveness, to come where there is cleansing, it is here all around you for the asking. May God add his blessing to his word. Amen.